Come on, practice nine. So good. You know, this, this year was our, just our second year. It's called Practice Nine because practice, we're going to talk about in just a minute, is our discipleship model. It lasts for nine months. It's a nine-month internship for discipleship and leadership. And so if, if that just speaks to you in any way, where's Monica? See, Monica's in here. Stand up, Monica. And where's Jamal? Stand up, Jamal. You need to see Monica or Jamal after the service, and they can answer your questions. I, I'm telling you, it will impact your life forever. And so I hope that you would give that a look. Even if it's just you're like, I'm not even sure what it's about, you should go onto the website and just check it out and just give God a chance to speak to you about whether or not this is something for you. Which we're doing applications now. It'll start in September. And then, uh, again, we just graduated our, our second class. Seven more students passed through. And and uh, those were some that you saw on there. So such a good job. Hey, I've got a couple of things I want to do tonight before we get into the, the message. We're, we're going to get there. So, so, uh, so trust me, we're going we're gonna to dig into it a little bit. But just this morning, uh, as I was praying for Pastor Jamie and his family, I felt like God really spoke to my heart to, about a couple of other things that he wanted us to give some time towards before we move on to the message. And so one was for Sharon Thomas. Sharon's right there. And uh, come on, give it up to Sharon. You can clap. Don't be a reluctant clapper. Come on, if you want to applaud. We, we bring it at City Life. We like to applaud. So we just want to say thank you, Sharon, for your ministry in this region and what you do. They just had a huge event last night, established footsteps, women from all over the peninsula. And, uh, and just her, the, what she does with God's word, not just for women's life, but for all of our lives is such a gift to this region, right? Such a gift to this region. There you go. Come on, you're getting better. Claire, Claire, my my uh, my my thirteen year old daughter came home. Vanessa and, and uh, her were there, and uh, and Claire said, "Dad, I could have read those verses a hundred times, and I would have never seen what she found in there." And, right, and that's the gift that teachers are to the body of Christ. And and Vanessa just kept saying. It was so deep, right? It was such a, just so deep. And, and it made me think of when I was just, I mean, teeny tiny, was taking swimming, swimming lessons. I was so skinny as a kid. I mean, it's my, my pediatrician called me Peanut. That was his nickname, like the planner's Peanut character. And, uh, and so I couldn't float. It was impossible for me to float and when I was a kid. The problem with that is that, and, and that's part of the test. And if you can't float, you can't swim into the deep into the pool, right? And so when you're a little kid, what do you want to do? You want to swim in the deep into the pool. And so, you know, here I am, all my friends are in the deep water and I'm over there with all the really little kids because I can't float yet. And, uh, and, and I thought, you know, that's, that's the way it should be with God's word. There should be something inside of us that wants to get in the deep part of God's word. We, we should not want to stay in the shallows. And, and, and Sharon and her ministry of teaching, it, it takes people into the deep water takes them into the deep water, and then it awakens their appetite to want to get there on their own. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. Come on. So the other thing I just I want to talk to you a little bit, it's a little bit controversial, but we don't shy away from controversy here at, at City Life. And so, you know, it, it, there's, there's some things that are happening in our world today, in, in society, that, that can be a little bit disheartening. Not just a little bit disheartening, but they can be terribly discouraging. If you're following some of the trials that are taking place across this nation, it, it can cause us to come to a place to ask the question, how, how do they come to that result? 
right? Because when, when we look at those statues that are in, in the front of courthouses, we see a statue, right, of a, of a woman with a blindfold on and, and scales in her hand. And that's supposed to say to us that, that, the, that the justice system is impartial. And that impartiality makes justice more possible. But sometimes we look at the outcomes of these cases and it feels as though that they're blind to the justice that they're supposed to bring. And I'm, and I'm not representing one side or the other. What I'm saying to you is that when there's tragedy and when there's injustice, we all suffer. We all lose. We all lose when that happens. And, and if you're like me, you can look at these situations that are happening in our nation and that we're just, the, the media just keeps piling on and it can make us feel overwhelmed and it can make us feel like there's nothing we can do. And I'm telling you, there is something that you can do because there's something you can do with your own heart and there's something that we can do with our own heart. And, and if we feel like there's a blindness in our nation to the, to the right things, right, and, uh, and, and, and that they're, they're, they're not seeing the things that they should, that's a result of all of us collectively together. Because I've got blindness in my life that I need to get rid of. You've got blindness in your life that you need to get rid of. That blindness represents biases and filters that we carry from our life experiences. If you don't have friends that look different than you and have lived different lives than you have lived, you are part of the problem. There's a, the collective blindness that's happened. You can clap, come on. Or you don't have to if you don't want to, that's okay too. There's a collective blindness that, we're, that, we, that we all collect, collectively contribute towards and, and we gotta do a better job. And we start right here in ourselves. I'm just telling you the friendship that I have with Chris House and with David Godwin, I cherish those friendships. I cherish those friendships. They look differently than me. They've lived different lives than I've lived. We're in different generations than, than which they'll tell you because I'm much older than they are, right? And, and, and so, but that's part of it too. Our age, our ethnicity, our socioeconomic status, our upbringing, these put these blinders in our lives and we've got to be willing to deal with those. And one of the first ways that you deal with them is you surround yourself with other people that you can trust. I'm not just saying anybody, but people you can trust that, that look differently than you. And then you begin to help each other see the blinders that you have. Another way that the world gets better is when better people act. The world gets better when better people act. And I got to see some of that just yesterday at a police academy graduation right here in Hampton. So I wanna ask Alvin to stand. I'm gonna ask Zach to stand. Come on. I don't know if Dom, is, are Dom or Jacob here? Come on, stay up, stay standing. I don't think Dom and Jacob are here, but those are two other city lifers uh, that were part of that graduation class. I just, I appreciate you being willing to say, I'm gonna make a difference. This, this is what better people acting looks like, right? They can't change what's happening in America, but they can make a contribution through their life right in the city of Hampton. I'm telling you, this is how nations turn and nations change where every person individually does their part. So if you're sitting close to them, if you could just stand and gather around them, we just wanna pray over them tonight. Father, we lift Alvin and Zach up to you today. Father, we lift up Jacob and Dom who aren't able to be with us, Lord. We, we thank you for their courage. We thank you for their example to us. And I pray that all of us would be convicted to ask the question, what's the part that we're supposed to play? We know that you're not asking all of us to make a career change like they're making, but you are asking something of us. 
And Father, I thank you for their willingness to be obedient to you. I thank you for their willingness to follow your prompting. I thank you for their willingness to jump into this volatile world and because they believe that you've planted them there to make a change. Father, may it be that all of us would be the instrument of change in this world that you've called and created us to be. We pray, Father, just a special blessing of protection over their life. Father, we, we just pray for a, a, a measure of your presence that brings safety, Lord, and, 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 and measures that are beyond comprehension, Lord. Father, we, just, we, we pray for the voice that they're going to have. We pray for the influence that they're going to bring, God, and, and we thank you. We thank you for the privilege that we have to call them friends. In Christ name. Come on. And everybody said, amen. Come on. It's like, why can't I see my notes? There we go. So, so this is where we're going to head tonight and next week. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a, of a two-parter and, uh, and, and we'll see how it, how it goes. If we get out a few minutes early tonight, that's my hope so that, uh, that we can have a little bit more time with, with uh, Pastor Jamie and his, and his family. But don't hold me to that because that's never happened before in 10 years. So just letting you know, just managing your expectations a little bit. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about our discipleship model here. We're in a series. I think this series will probably last most of the year. There's so much in our discipleship model that we're just gonna we're we're coming into different parts and coming back out and jumping back into different parts. So I wanna I wanna talk a little bit more about our discipleship model tonight. And I want to introduce you to a, a famous story in the Bible. Some of you are very familiar with it. Most churches, they read this before they take up the offering. You'll understand why that's funny later. And, um, so, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to connect this story to our discipleship model because I feel like this story, it's mi- misrepresented in its purpose. It's used in, in the wrong way. And so I, I want to suggest to you what I believe, one of the reasons why God put this story, why the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to put this in uh, the book of Acts. And I think next week is when we'll get to uh, three warnings that this story gives to us. This, the warnings about a, uh, a neglected assignment, a premature eternity, and, and a damaged legacy. Those, I think, the three areas that we'll dig around in uh, next week. So Matthew 16, 27. As always, we put our notes online for you. You can go to the website. Uh, if we cover, if you're a note taker, sometimes we cover more ground uh, than maybe you would prefer. You can always go online uh, the week after the, our Saturday service, and there's a PDF that has uh, all the notes on there if you want to reference anything uh, that, that you would have preferred that we would have spent a little bit more time on. Matthew 16, 27, right? This is the anchor verse for us, for our, for our church and discipleship. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people, all people. Not just people who didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ, not just people who did make a vow of devotion to Christ, but he's gonna judge all people according to their deeds. And now this word deeds is important to us. If you've been with us for any amount of time, we, we talk about this word a lot. In the Greek, it's the word praxis. It's where we get this phrase, let's praxis. It gave us the name for our, our discipleship model. It gave us the name for our leadership in, in a discipleship school uh, that, that we were just talking about, praxis nine. This idea of deeds, it's, it's not just one thing that you do. This, this, Greek, this word in the Greek, praxis, it means that which characterizes your life, right? God's not gonna, he's gonna talk to you, right, about your greatest moment. He's gonna talk to you about your worst moment, but I don't think he's gonna judge us just based on our best day or based on our worst day. 
Right? We're going to be judged based on this question of what characterized our lives with the time that he gave us. That's what this word praxis means, this word, this word deeds. Let, let me read you this excerpt out of this book that we've published to help people better understand this model that we've created. It says in Matthew 16, 27, we're told that Jesus is going to judge all people according to their deeds. This word deed is one of my favorite New Testament words. It's the word praxis. The word speaks to what characterizes our lives. And although for all of us there are manifold destinies and diverse callings, I believe that all of mankind shares one great purpose. We were all created by God to imitate his son. This must be our ultimate deed in this life, my ultimate praxis. Imitating Christ must be what characterizes my life above all else. This is both the greatest privilege and the highest hope for all of humanity. Let me share that again. This is both our greatest privilege and our highest hope for all humanity. If you're visiting with us tonight, we want to give you this as a gift. You can see anybody in a blue shirt, anybody in a blue shirt, and they'll give you one of these books. So I hope that you'll take us up on that. And, uh, and I hope that it inspires you to, to, to go further in your journey as a follower of Christ. I think too many people wake up, they make a vow of devotion to Christ and they have no idea what they're supposed to do next. Maybe they understand a, a few small pieces of what they're supposed to do, but as we talk about this model, which I'm gonna do in just a few minutes, we want people to wake up every day who have made a vow of devotion to Christ and have a sense of empowerment and a sense of intentionality of what it looks like day in and day out to do this thing called Christianity. We've devoted a website, letspraxis.com, that you can go to and answer your questions there. It's something you can share with other people as they're exploring what it looks like to be a devoted follower of Christ. It's based on four numbers. We call it the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. The one comes out of 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It's where the apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Corinth, said, follow me as I follow Christ. This is the beginning of your journey of discipleship. It means that you've got to find some people that are a little bit farther along than you are, and they should have an expectation that you're a little bit farther along than some other people. See, this idea of being a disciple of Jesus or a follower of Christ, it necessitates that you're in community with other people. Because if you're not in community with other people, then who are you going to be following and who's going to be following you, right? It's an assumption that Paul makes that when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you find a community of faith like this or other great churches in this area and you invest your life there. You find the people that you can follow and then you trust that other people are going to to be following after you. This is what we call the invitation. It's the invitation into the journey of discipleship. And if I'm going to accept that invitation, then I have to be willing to obey the commands of Christ. We believe that there are six foundational commands of Christ and everything else in Jesus' teaching connect to these six. Follow Jesus, love God, love people, be perfect. That's the one we're going to talk about some tonight and next week. Go everywhere and receive power. If I accept the one, I've got to obey the six, and to obey the six, I walk in the 12, the 12 pathways. Now, many people call them spiritual disciplines. We like to call them pathways because they take you somewhere. Where do they take you? They take you into the 24 virtues. If I accept the one, I've got to obey the six. To obey the six, I walk in the 12, and when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. The character of Christ is the ultimate measure for the praxis of our lives. Is he concerned about what we're going to do? Sure. But I would like to suggest to you that he's only concerned about what we do to the degree that it serves to build the character of Christ in us and in others. That at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus and he judges us, what God is looking for is how much do we look like him? And I want to look more like him tomorrow than I do today. The one, the six, the 12, 
and the 24. That one command, be perfect, it's pretty daunting, isn't it? Matthew 5, 48, I want to start reading in 43 to give some context, lest we shy away from how intensive a command this is that Jesus gave to us. Matthew 5, 43 says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How are you doing with that one? Yeah, me not so good. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now listen to what it says by comparison of God. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. What's he saying there? He's saying, hey, God still shows and demonstrates goodness to people that don't deserve it. And if we're his children, that's what we should look like too. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there? Is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Maybe to modernize that, we could say even corrupt politicians do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? And here it comes. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. He's asking the impossible of us. He's asking the impossible of us because he knows if he had set the bar lower, we would have been tempted on some days to say, yep, I'm good enough. Right, some days where we were just rocking it as disciples of Christ, we would have been like, I'm done. I'm good. I've grown so much. I've come so far. No, no, no. He put this goal out there for us, even though we're never going to get to perfection, even though we're not even going to get close to being exactly who Jesus was. He made that the standard so that every day that we wake up for the rest of our lives, we would be motivated to go farther. We would be motivated to say, as far as I've come, I want to keep going farther still. It removes the temptation from us to say, I've come far enough. He says to you and he says to me, no, 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 you keep going. There's more ground to break. There are more areas of your life that I want you to grow in. There's still more aspects of the character of Christ that are for you in this life. All of us are gonna get to different places, right? Don't get caught up in this comparison journey. That's not what following after someone and someone else following after you. That's about inspiring others and learning from others. But all of us are gonna end up in different places. And some people that end up farther than us, right? In God's scheme of things, they didn't get far enough, right? Because their potential was so much more. There might be some people that you look at and you're thinking, like I think sometimes because we all judge people, they got a lot of work to do. I think sometimes God says, no, no, no. They're so far ahead of you, Fred. Based on their story, based on their journey, based on their potential, they've lapped you 400 times already, right? We're all on this journey. I want to get as far as God made me to get. 
I want to get as when crossing the finish line when it comes to this standard and measure of perfection isn't getting to perfection. It's fulfilling the potential that God created us to have to become like Christ. That's what it means to follow after others and for others to follow after us is that we're inspiring one another to keep going, to never be satisfied that we've gotten far enough. I must be unwavering in my commitment and relentless in my effort to continually examining my heart and working to become more like Jesus. Be perfect is best understood as courage to change. Be perfect is best understood as courage to change. We're gonna look at a story tonight it's a story that is a little bit controversial. It's a, a story that I would say gives theologians a fit because they don't always necessarily understand the outcome or it doesn't fit within their theological model. It's in Acts 5, 1 through 11. Let me read it to you. It says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us but to God. As soon as Ananias heard this, heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified, you think? Then some young men, right? This is the first mention of a youth group in the Bible, right? <laughs> then some young men, right, from Revolution Church got up, wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. I'm just telling you, that was their favorite church service forever. Remember we got to bury that dead guy, right? <laughs> Teenagers live for that kind of stuff. Come on. Everything was downhill for them for the rest of their life in ministry. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? Right, the teenager's like, here goes another one. Get ready. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And next week, the offering was the biggest ever. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. I'm pretty sure it went up after that, though. I'm pretty sure. Just saying. Just a pastor's guess. I, I want to suggest to you tonight that this story is not about finances. It's not about generosity. It's not about giving. It's used in that way 
Does it have some meaning? Yes, but I would say that's an ancillary meaning. It's, it's, it's there. It's, it's present. We can learn from it, but it's not the prominent reason I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to include this story. I think he included it for a different reason. The money part is what you've heard me say many times before. It's a fill-in-the-blank part of the Bible. That might have been their struggle. It might not be your struggle, but there's a transcendent truth. There's a higher principle that we're supposed to gain from this text as we move forward as disciples of Jesus. This text is a warning to all of us about how vulnerable we are to temptation. I think the most impactful words in this entire story is the accusation that Peter says, Satan filled your hearts. Satan filled your hearts. When we ignore the work of striving to become more like Jesus, there is a heart void that's created in us. This command that that we've been given to be perfect, this challenge that we've been given to be relentless in our pursuit of becoming like Christ, if we give ourselves permission to enter into a season where we become lackadaisical about this command that Jesus has for us, I believe that poor effort over time creates a heart void in us that makes us vulnerable to temptation. And I believe that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Listen to Ezekiel 28, 7. I'm going to read a few verses that talk about this idea about the human heart and how it can be filled with the wrong thing. Ezekiel 28, 17. This is Ezekiel prophesying against the king of Tyre. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. What does that mean? He used him as an example to be a lesson to others. Right? It says his heart was filled with pride. He had a heart void. And he became susceptible to temptation. Listen to Joel 2, 13. It says, don't tear your clothing in grief. Tear your hearts instead. Tear your heart. Return to the Lord your God. For he is merciful and compassionate, slow to, ang- slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Eager to relent and not punish. That's the God that we serve. What is he saying? He's saying your hearts are filled with all the wrong things. You gotta tear that heart so all that stuff can get emptied out of who we are. We are supposed to have a heart void, but not a heart that's void of all that is good so temptation can come. We wanna have a heart that is void of the wrong so the righteousness of Christ can fill. You might say, well, Fred, that's a lot of Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament sounds like. Yeah, that's what Jesus sounded like sometimes too. 23.8, Matthew 23.28, Matthew 23.28. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Yeah. Jesus had some hard things to say to us. He has loving things to say to us. He has kind things to say to us. He has encouraging things to say to us. But he loves us enough to say the hard things to us. And he looked out into that crowd and he's saying, there's some of you in here, your hearts are filled. They had a heart void. And they got filled with the wrong stuff. Hypocrisy and lawlessness. Colossians 3.16. Let the message of Christ and all its richness fill your lives. The message about Christ and all its richness 
fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. That's the person that we're supposed to be. That's the life that we're supposed to run after. There is a work of transformation in your life and in my life that grace is only going to accomplish. There's going to be change. There's going to be change. That we are desperate for the grace of God to work in us. It requires no effort on our behalf. It's the kind of change that's brought about in us because of a loving father. Because God loves us so deeply and he knows that there's some things in our lives that are so big. There's some voids that are too overwhelming. And grace will come in like a flood and heal and change. It's, it's, it's what we believe about grace. Grace is undeserved. Grace is this, this beautiful word that talks about what God does for us, even though we don't earn it, even though we don't work for it. He just does it in our lives. But can I just challenge you to believe that there is some change that's your responsibility and my responsibility. Are we dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do that change? Yes, we are. But we've got to do our part. There, there's, there's effort that we have to do. You know one of my favorite sayings is that at City Life, we're gonna make your soul sweat. We're gonna make your soul sweat because we work hard here to be like Christ. It doesn't displace the doctrine of grace. It's because of the doctrine of grace that I can trust the things that are too big for me for God to do and then it motivates me to put my hand to the plow, as Jesus says, and to not look back and to give my life to the work of cultivating the character of Christ within me. He's not gonna read my Bible for me. I've got to do that. He doesn't show up for church for me. I gotta do that. He doesn't say to my wife on my behalf, I'm sorry. I have to do that. And I do that a lot. He doesn't give what you're supposed to give. He multiplies it supernaturally. You have to make the decision to live sacrificially to give to the kingdom work that he's called you to support. Right? We can go through all the pathways there's a work that God does in us that's born of grace, but then there's something that we've got to do ourselves. Have you ever found it interesting that when Peter, after he fell, and when he's reconciled to Jesus, that Jesus, the way he reconciles him is he gives him stuff to do. He gives him stuff to do. Feed my lambs and feed my sheep. He's saying, Peter, you gotta get busy. This thing that needs to be healed inside of you, this shame that you're wrestling with, I'm the only one that can take care of that. But you gotta do the stuff that you can do. And when you and I pull back from the stuff that we can do, I'm just telling you, it creates a heart void in our lives. And that void in our heart makes us susceptible to temptation. And we can find ourselves where we get into a place where all of a sudden things that are ugly begin to fill our lives. Listen to this statement. Discipleship is the process of the wrong in me dying and the right in me living. Discipleship is the process of the wrong in me dying and the right in me living. Ananias and Sapphira were moving in the opposite direction of their journey towards perfection. 
when I lose my courage to change, when I neglect Jesus' command to be perfect, when the wrong in me starts living and the right in me starts dying, I begin to risk what Ananias and Sapphira ultimately lost. And that's where we're going to be going next week, this idea of a neglected assignment, a premature eternity, and a damaged legacy. God has so much for you and me in this life. He doesn't want us to miss a moment. Not miss a moment. Something inside of us has to trust in his grace, but at the same time, something inside of us has to be driven in a healthy way. There's, there's something called a healthy ambition inside of me to want to make it further in my life as a devoted follower of Christ. When you get to the end of Paul's life, as you see as he writes in some of these letters, he's not being boastful, but he's being honest, right? About he ran the race. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we're talking about tonight. He's saying, you know what? I made it pretty far from where I started. And I made it as far as I could get through the work that I did and through the grace of God. I want all of us at the end of our days to be able to say what Paul said. I ran my race. I ran my race. I got as far as I could, deeply relying on the grace of God, never shrinking back from the responsibility that he placed upon me. Perfection always at a distance, always seeming far. But as I look back over where I came, oh, the ground that I have covered and the ground that we covered because we got there together. That's a legacy that he wants you and I to leave together. Stand with me. Father, I pray, I pray that we would not take duplicity lightly because we know this is part of the story too for Ananias and Sapphira. That we would understand, God, that, that, that there is a liberty that we find when we stop pretending to be someone that we're not. There, there's a liberty that we find when we, when we can be honest about our struggles. There, there's a liberty that we find when we can find some trusted friends to talk about the voids in our hearts or we can talk about the things that have filled our hearts that need to begin to die and we can share our frustrations with the things that have yet to come alive but we, we want to see. Father, let it be that we would stop trying to pretend to be someone that we're not that we would find a community of people, whether it's here or one of the other great churches in this region, find a community of people where we can be honest about who we are and begin to take steps to become the person that you've called and created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, before you go, I hope you find your way down to the cafe. Join us in celebrating their life and ministry here at City Life. We'll see you next week.